Well, happy Easter to everyone that is with us this morning. It is a joy to see your faces. To those who are with us online, we are glad that you are spending this time with us, making much of the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, the very last chapter of Luke's gospel account. We're going to spend some time in this chapter. Last Sunday, we began a short series around the Easter season on Palm Sunday entitled Forgiven, Experiencing the Tender Mercy of God. We considered that the hope of forgiveness leads us out of debt, it leads us out of darkness, it leads us out of death. And then just a couple of days ago on Good Friday, we gathered that evening and considered that the cost of forgiveness is fully paid, freely received, and forever enjoyed. These wonderful truths are available to us because Jesus wins. Because death could not keep Him. The grave gave way to our risen Savior. This morning, I hope we experience the tender mercy of our God in seeing how forgiveness found in Christ leads to joy-filled, transformed lives. Joy-filled lives. There's a lot in this world and in our lives that probably push against you having joy. And so hopefully as we take this time to look at who Christ is and what He has accomplished, that it floods your heart, your perspective, with joy. And at the heart of salvation is the forgiveness secured by Jesus. And because of this forgiveness, we can have joy-filled wonder. And that joy-filled wonder can inspire a joy-filled witness. And we make much of the place of our joy, the person of our joy, the Savior of our joy. And that then fuels a joy-filled worship. And that's where we're going today, this Easter morning. So let's consider first a joy-filled wonder. That we would first have a Wonder over the tender mercy of God, a wonder over the resurrected Savior. And that wonder would also be a wonder over His mercy. If you have your Bible and you follow along, we're going to read verses 36 through 43. The words will be on the screen. Follow as we consider a joy-filled wonder. From Luke chapter 24. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? 
They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before him. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ secures for us something we could never gain on our own, and it is bewildering. It is overwhelming. It produces a wonder and awe. It is too marvelous. And so, as we think about this, and as we enter into this moment here with Jesus' followers, and seeing the resurrected Jesus, we are wrestling with one particular kind of question. How do we know that the cost of our forgiveness is paid in full? And that payment is fully accepted. That there's nothing left for any of us to face. The resurrection of Jesus is the validating receipt that says, paid in full. The ultimate payment for sin is death. And death has been defeated by this overwhelming Savior. And that resurrection is overwhelming and very hard to compute as we see here from Jesus' followers in Luke chapter 24. The disciples, what were they? They were terrified. They were troubled at first, but then marveled with a joy-filled wonder. Verse 37, again, they were startled and frightened, thought they saw a spirit. I mean, logically, wouldn't that make sense? Dead people don't get up. They don't rise. This was something very new. Something has happened that changes everything, and it startled And that startling started to give way to marveling. In verse 41, while they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling at what they saw and what they touched. Such is the sight when Christ displays His victory over death. Marveling, awe, wonder, at our resurrected Savior. And it's not just wonder at His resurrection, but it's wonder over His mercy. In many ways, that might be an even greater reason for wonder and awe. It's the ongoing, continuing experience of the tender mercy of God. In that passage we read, let's note what Jesus says and to whom He says it. Verses 36 and then 38 through 39. In verse 36, as they were talking about these things, that is, Jesus' followers, Jesus Himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. And then in 38 and 39, He said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do, you, why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Notice what he says. He says, peace. He says, do not be troubled. He says, see, it's me, resurrected and real. Their hearts were anxious. They were, they were feeling a lot of conflicting things. And Jesus calms their hearts with His presence and His words. But consider whose hearts He calms. His disciples, His followers, who had failed and abandoned Him just 
a couple of days earlier. His followers who were hiding in fear of the world around them. Jesus is saying, peace to you. Jesus didn't crush them under a harsh rebuke. He didn't kick them out over their failure. He didn't ridicule their fear. He had more mercy for them. I love Micah 7, 18. It's in the Old Testament speaking about the character of God and Jesus, God in the flesh, bringing that character into time and space and humanity. It says this about God. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. as staggering as it would be to see a dead man alive again. Even more staggering that God has more mercy for those who fail, who have fear, who sink under doubts. Maybe this morning, you feel like a failure. Maybe doubt clouds your heart, or maybe fear locks you up. Maybe you wonder if Jesus has enough mercy for you. Friends, look and see. Look and see at the tender mercy of our God. He does not crush or kick out, or ridicule those who have failed, who doubt, and have fear. What wonderful news. What incredible news for us this day. What joy-producing news that God has more mercy for us. May that lead you to a joy-filled wonder, and may that joy-filled wonder inspire then in you a joy-filled witness. A joy-filled witness that goes about making much of Christ. That goes about making much of Christ in the Word, in God's Word, in the Bible, and goes about making much of Christ in this world. Let's consider verses 44 through 49 of Luke 24. Again, the words should be on the screen. Then he, Jesus, said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The central storyline of the Bible, the thread that binds it all together, is the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus fulfilling all of God's redemptive purposes for all of history. Did you catch that there in verses 44 and 45? Everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, 
That is, at Jesus' day, the Bible, the Old Testament, all of that is, is written about me. And then he opened up their minds to understand the Scriptures. And we go about with a joy-filled witness that we have in the Bible that, that we need to understand Christ if we un- want to understand the Bible. Because Jesus is at the center of it. In the Old Testament, it's leading up to Jesus. Prefiguring Him in the people and the places and the promises that we read in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, it is the displaying of the fulfillment of all of those promises and purposes of God. We're to see the Bible is leading us to see Jesus. We're not to come to the Bible and moralize it. Moralize everything out of it. That we have to do this X, Y, and Z in order to get right with God. The Bible isn't given to moralize your life. You're not to read stories of David and think, i got to be more like David. That's not what the Bible's aim is for. And we can't come to the Bible and over-spiritualize it. And look at it and read it and think, oh, what is the giant I have to slay in my life? Don't do that to yourself. Don't go looking for five smooth stones to slay your giants. No, when you read the story of David... When you read the story of him taking on Goliath, the real kernel and the real heart of that story is actually leading you to Jesus. God who takes on the fight for his people, defeating an enemy we could never overcome on our own. Tell me that doesn't preach Christ. No, we gospelize the Bible. We gospelize the reading of the Bible. We anchor it in the person and work of Jesus. He is the binding that puts it all together. He is the central story. And as we open up God's Word, we are to see Christ on these pages. But it's not just there that we see a making much of Christ, but it is also to be in our lives, that we are to be making much of Christ in this world. We do that in community together and on mission together. Think about what was that little group of followers of Christ. The disciples experienced the the joy-filled witness of Scripture together in community. We aren't called to be silos, weathering the storms of life as some sort of individualized outpost, isolated and self-absorbed. We're called into a community, a transforming community, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You're not called to be alone. Now, some of you introverts are very upset. And you are not amening that. You've already hit your quota for being around human beings for the day. And you're ready for me to wrap it up so you can go to your safe place. And you extroverts, we need to honor those who are wired differently than us. That being said... We are called to community together, where we together make much of Jesus with each other, to each other. And then secondly, 
We're to go about making much of Jesus on mission, to make much of Christ in this world, leading others to experience the tender mercy of God. Look at verses 46 to 49 again. And Jesus said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The joy of our wonder, the joy of seeing Jesus on every page is to flood over in the way we live and what we live to do. That we would live in a way that makes much of Jesus together and live in a way that makes much of Jesus on mission so that others who are weary, worn down, lost, broken, hurting, confused, angry, apathetic, heartless, calloused, wounded in every possible way can come and experience the tender mercy of God. Because it's not about you getting your life right and then God accepting you. No, it's about coming to what God has already done for miserable, broke down people like us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Fully paid, freely given, forever joy. He has brought us out of death. He has brought us out of the dark. He has brought us out of the grave. And he says to us, it is fully paid. It is freely received. And it is to be forever enjoyed. That means the church isn't to be on some sort of culture war. The church is to be about holding, holding out to hurting people the only hope that we can have in this life and the life to come. Now we would spend our lives making much of who God is and what He has done for us and why it is enough. I will say this. We will have remarkably less joy, less wonder, less witnessing to His tender mercy the less we make much of Jesus. The more we make much of Him, the more it floods our hearts, the more it shapes our lives, the more it informs our community, the more it fuels our mission, and the more it brings warmth to our worship. And that's what we find here, is that it leads to joy-filled worship. That the tender mercy of God makes joy-filled worshipers. The tender mercy of God makes joy-filled worshipers. The last few verses of Luke's gospel account. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Experiencing the tender mercy of God brings about a transformation in our lives. Take note in just the short space that we considered in Luke 24, 
the followers of Jesus go from, is this even real, marveling, to joy-filled worship. They were changed because of Jesus. No longer doubting and hiding in their fear. Rather, forgiven and transformed. They grew in just that short time in understanding the person and work of Christ. They experienced the tender mercy of God in transformative ways. They've been equipped for mission, and they returned worshiping with great joy. The aim and trajectory of the tender mercy of God in your life follows the same path. God's aim in your life is that you too in all the kinds of contexts of your life, in all the circumstances of your life, the highs and the lows, the joys and the sorrows, the aches and the times in which you rest, that you will come to experience the wonder and the witness and the worship of Jesus and that with great joy. There is enough in our lives to sink us down into despair or frustration or apathy. I don't have to convince you of this. You're either too busy to really give it thought because life can be so frantic, or you're too calloused over because you've experienced so many hurts and aches. You've lost friends. You've You've hurt others, and you feel the regret and the shame, and all of that can just sort of turn into this like terrible crockpot, giving off a horrible aroma. There's enough of that in our life. And so, friends, friends who are here, friends who are with us this morning, the aim of God's grace and tender mercy in your life is to bring about a radical transformation in you. In the midst of this life, to fill your heart and to flood your life with joy fixed on Him. Just a few hours before enduring the cross and overcoming the grave, Jesus, in a very close and intimate setting with his closest followers, said these incredible words to them, and they're words that are still binding. They're words for us today. They're words for you right now. No matter what you might be facing in this life, no matter what it is that you may struggle with, no matter what it is that you wrestle with, Jesus says these words to us today. I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. Why? Because of the tender mercy of God. The sufficiency of Jesus. His victory over sin. His victory over the grave. His victory over evil. No one will take your joy from you. What words and what hope? The tender mercy of God is on full display in Jesus. 
And may you experience this forever joy through a growing faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would do that work in us and our hearts. There is much in our lives that weary our souls. And we pray for joy, a joy fixed on you, a joy fixed on the person and work of Jesus, that we would have joy-filled wonder, that our lives would be joy-filled witnesses to your tender mercy, and that we would be a people who grow in experiencing joy-filled worship with lives that are changed. God, I pray that you would do that in us this day, to your glory and to our good. Amen. Would you please stand as we confirm in our hearts the tender mercy of God on full display in Jesus and continue the celebration of our risen Lord Jesus. Living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away, rising he justified freely forever, and one day he's coming, O oh, glorious day. Let's sing.
Praising each other.